Well, I have, uh, I don't know about you, but I have, uh, well, you probably don't because you haven't really heard this is coming as much as I have been prepping for it. So, uh, but I'm really excited for the life of David. And uh, I've just, it, this has been one that I've been wanting to preach for a while. Uh, this was on the back burner for, for quite some time. And uh, it was one of those ones that as I was talking to Ashley, who is an administrative assistant right now, she kind of handles all of the paperwork and all the extras and the, the et cetera's, like her job descriptions, like, and extras. And so uh, as we were thinking about this and the booklet that was to come, we said, man, this thing's going to be a beast. And we knew it was going to be a beast, and it is a beast. And so uh, if you have discussion, guys, it does look like this. Um, our printer is broken. No, it's not. It's not. It, it was like smoking on Friday, <laughs> printing this all, all these out for you guys. So uh, these are for you to have for the series. This is going to be a bit of a longer series. Uh, we're beginning it today, and we won't be done until uh, midsummer. But I think it's going to be fun just looking at David's life in, in just snapshots. So it, it's kind of like if you were to look through photo albums, and you're kind of looking through them as your family. Like our girls love to do this. They'll open the family albums and just kind of go through photos and say, remember when this happened, or they just kind of love fun to look at photos. That's where we're going to look at David's life, just kind of through snapshots. We're going to kind of walk through David's photo album and just kind of pick out some different things of who he is, uh, what he is all about, and uh, hopefully gain some perspective as we walk through it. So this morning, just so you know, um, it is going to be a lot of history. So for those history buffs in here, you're like, or you want to know the story, you want to know the, back, the background, you're like, yes. For those who are like, oh my gosh, right? And if that's you this morning, you're kind of like, I knew I shouldn't have come this morning. Bear with me. I, I promise it'll get better. But it is going to be a lot of history today, a lot of context to kind of set David's life up. We need to find out some things prior to David's uh, coming into uh, king and other things like that. And so just so you're aware of that, that's kind of where we're going to head. Um, in the discussion guides, there is a bunch of information in the front end about who David was, some context. And then we also added from BibleProject.com, uh, we were able to use their stuff for this booklet. And so there's some things from them as well, as far as some graphs and things like that. You can kind of check with us as far as their life is concerned and where uh, we're going this morning. So this morning, as we begin, as we said, we, uh, we need some context. And so some context begins uh, in the Old Testament in your Bibles. And so before we get into 1 Samuel chapter 16, you need to know what happened before that. And so let me give you just a really quick view of what that is. Um, Israel was not always a nation. I mean, you look on a map today, you're like, I see Israel. There's this whole Palestine thing happening right now. What is the deal with Israel? Israel is not always a nation. It was actually a people long before it was a nation. And so Abraham was called to be the father of this nation. But a nation, before it came into existence, needed some things in order for it to become a nation. So a nation, in order for it to be exist, needs laws, it needs land, it needs people, and uh, it probably needs some leadership. Okay? So a nation, as it begins, needs all of those things. So the first thing the nation needed was people. And so you see from Genesis to Exodus, there's a huge explosion in population. It goes from like 70-some people to 3-point-something, 2.3-something million people. Uh, from Genesis to the beginning of Exodus, there's a huge mass of people. So we have people then for a nation. And then after we get a nation, we need law. So Moses comes in, gives us the Ten Commandments, and then plus. And so he gives us the laws of the nation because I think so often we think of the Bible, we think of it's just this rules and regulations for us today. You, you got to remember, the Bible was actually written for the people at the time and for us today. And so it was all these laws that may seem weird and foreign to us as you read through them, but they were for the purpose of setting up a nation. And so they had 600 plus laws that were helping to define who this nation 
would be. So you have people, you have law, and then you need land, right? You, you can't be a nation without actually having a place to be a nation in. And so if you look through your Bibles, you see that as the Bible progresses, it's not until the end of Joshua. At the end of Joshua, you see that they finally have all of the land. And it's at the end of the book of Joshua that Israel becomes a nation, Up until this point, they're just kind of wandering nomads, and they're kind of going from place to place, conquering places. And when you reach the end of Joshua in your Bibles, you're like, okay, now, now they're a nation. And as soon as they become a nation, you would think it'd be this really interesting, heroic kind of, okay, now they're set. This is going to be really, really good. But the book that comes after Joshua is the book of Judges. <laughs> and, and the book of Judges is almost like this like, weird chaos book. It's like you just became a nation, but somebody forgot to throw leadership in. Or, or healthy leadership. And so what you see in the book of Judges is a lot like our life. And you may feel this way, I do on a regular basis, where we just kind of had this circular pattern of, I'm really good with God. I'm really good with God. I'm not so good with God. Life's kicking in. I don't like this life. This life's hard. I'm not really caring for God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Hey, there's God. I like God. God's good. I'm going to follow God. You know what I mean? And if you've ever been there, like it's just this ongoing circle. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like that's my life, like an on repeat, right? It's just the playlist of my life just keeps going on and over and over and over again. The book of Judges is that. The book of Judges is just a circular pattern of we love God. We don't like him. We love God. We don't. And at the end of Judges, in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, this defines the nation of Israel up until this point. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. (laughs) Chaos, pandemonium, Armageddon, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, just, it's just chaos, right? If you want to go punch your neighbor in the face, sweet, go punch your neighbor in the face. If you wanted to go kill somebody, go kill somebody. If you wanted to, you know, rob somebody's house because they had nicer stuff than you, you could legitimize it. I'm going to go rob them. Nothing you can do. They just did whatever was right in their own eyes. And there was just chaos throughout the book of Judges. And then after the book of Judges, we get to the book that we are going to be in. After Ruth, it goes into this book called 1 Samuel. And in the context of Israel then, they've just come out of chaos. God raises up this guy named Samuel, who's a priest and a prophet and a church guy who's really well-known, really popular. And yet, again, a lot of history. And yet, as you look at Samuel, he's kind of an absentee father. His kids are an absolute wreck. I mean, you talk about pastor's kids, right? There's a whole stigma with pastor's kids. Thankfully, I, you know, I think we're doing okay. Uh, but I think some pastor's kids, it's kind of like they're just a you train wreck. And nobody wants to say anything to the pastor because their kids are out of control. And you're like, well, we can't say anything because the pastor kids. Samuel was that way. His kids were an absolute disaster. And they were just a train wreck from the get-go. And, and, and as this is happening, Samuel is wondering what God's going to do. And eventually, you may have heard the story, eventually Samuel is kind of leading this nation at this point, And they say, we want a king. Like all the other nations have a king. We want a king. And so all the people of Israel demand that they have a king. And so Samuel talks to God and he says, God, you know these people. They're weird. They're fickle. They go in circles. What do I do? And he says, give him a king. And so these are our main characters as we head into the life of David. So let me just start with Samuel. Then we're going to look at Saul. And then we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16, okay? I know this is a lot, so stick with me. Everybody good so far? So we're just tracked. We've got a nation. They're a little nuts. They're a little crazy. That's the way Israel rolls. Samuel's kind of the head now. They demand a king. Samuel's ready to give them a king, and there's here we kind of pick up. So Samuel, again, Samuel is older at this point, but not too old. 
he's got a really good beard. And uh, at this point, he is like, and I, and I, and I forgive the reference, but um, it's the only thing I could really think of that kind of matches. Samuel has reached the status of, I know this is really geeky and weird, but he's reached the status of kind of like the, the old Obi-Wan kind of scenario, right? I mean, it's just like we've heard legend of him. We know he's around. We know he's powerful. And we know he's got this huge following, but we really don't know him. He's kind of mystic. He's kind of mysterious. We really know who Samuel is. And Samuel had the ear of God. He was a legend. He was a myth. He was authority. He was powerfully used by God. And he is going to be used to anoint Saul as the first king. Now, before we get to that, I got, this story is really good because Saul is, is, a, is a piece of work. Uh, Saul is the guy who you walk into and you meet for the first time, and this guy tells you how good he is, right? Your first introduction, this guy is cool. He's got it together. He's established. He says all the right things at all the right time, and yet you kind of know when you leave the conversation, this guy's going to talk about me behind my back. You ever been there? Like they, they got it all together. They look really good on the outside, but you know something's a little off. This dude's a little weird. I'm not really sure what it is about Saul. I just don't like him. Anyway, God says, I want Saul to be the guy. So the story goes, let me just kind of give you the story. This is, this is fun. So the story goes of how Saul becomes king is this. Saul, who is too cool for school, who really wants nothing to do with anybody except himself. He's in love with himself. He's really, really in love with me. Uh, and, and, and he is all about himself and status and just that kind of guy. So Saul's dad, I don't know if this is on purpose or not, but Saul's dad, his first job to Saul was, hey, Saul, I need you to go chase after some of my donkeys. <laughs> and you can imagine, like, Saul's like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't do that. Like, have you seen my sunglasses and my beard? I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't do that kind of stuff. And he's like, no, just go after them. They've kind of wandered off. They're everywhere. You need to go find my donkeys. Don't come back until you find my donkeys right? Kind of normal day in the life of Saul. It's kind of like that teenager's like, go do this. And, to, and you as the teenager are kind of like, I really don't want to do that because that sounds like the lamest job in the world. And your parents are like, don't come back to you. You know, you've done it. And you're like, fine, I'll go. And so he goes with his servant and they go and try and find these donkeys. Now these donkeys, they can't find. They're on a trip. And this trip is like an ongoing road trip that they have no clue where they're at. I mean, they've been all over the place, state to state, country to country, all over the place. They've, they've burned through their money. They've burned through resources. They sit down in the middle of this story, and they're like, what do we do? We don't have any money left. We didn't find the donkeys. We can't come back until the donkeys are found. Now what? Saul, who should have known who Samuel was, didn't. But his servant knows who Samuel is, heard of this guy who lives in the plains, right? <laughs> who's, who's kind of this guy who we haven't really known. I think he's out there. He's kind of a mystery. I've heard this guy named Samuel, and I heard this guy named Samuel. He can kind of tell the future. So here's my plan. Perfect, like, plan for those in our, you know, just immediate 20s, and we got no plan for life. But just this seems like a really good plan. So they said, let's, let's do this. Let's go. Let's go talk to this guy named Samuel, and let's ask him where our donkeys are. That sounds like a great plan. And, they're like, and the servant's like, so what do we pay him? How do we get the money? We, don't, we burned out through all our cash. Well, I got a couple bucks, is kind of how the story goes. And let's see if he'll do it for this much money. Let's go find him. All right. So they go and they try and find this guy named Samuel. No idea who he is. No idea what he looks like. No idea where he's at. But they heard a rumor that he's in this town. So they go to this town. They try and find Samuel. As they go and try and find Samuel, Samuel is there. Samuel is almost on this large, like, 
large scale speaking tour, goes into this place where it's packed out. Everybody's like, Samuel, Samuel. And they know he's coming into town. They know he's going to be preaching. They know he's there by, by God's design. Big name. You kind of can see the, the motorcade following him. It's walking up the steps to go in to teach. And as he goes in to teach, Saul and his servant have no clue who this guy is. But Saul goes up to this guy who has no idea. There's just a motorcade and there's this big thing following. And Saul goes up and he approaches Samuel. And he says, just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? In other words, we've heard this guy named Samuel We're looking for him. He's supposed to be this really big deal. Can you tell me where he is? It's like if you were to wander into town and the largest name that you could think of in our nation is there. And you ask them, hey, have you seen them? Do you know who this person is? Very awkward moment for Saul. Very awkward moment for his servant. They have no clue that they're asking the very man who could tell them all the future is here. They don't even recognize him. This was the first meeting of Samuel, the first guy who's going to set up the king. And this guy is met this way. And here's Samuel's response. This is beautiful. This is what Samuel says back. Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. <laughs> to which Samuel, or Saul and his servant had to be like, uh, that's not a good start. Um, and then he continues. This is great. Before Saul even says, I'm sorry or anything, here's what, here's what Samuel does. This is beautiful. This is God's design. Samuel answered, I, see, I am a seer. Go before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go and will, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them, for they have been found. Did this dude just talk about my donkeys and I was going to ask him about the donkeys? This huge seer, this huge man is worried about donkeys? He says, don't worry about your donkeys. They're good. They've been found. And for, whom is, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all of your father's house? In other words, there's something big heading your way, Saul, and it's bigger than donkeys. There's something coming, and God's already ahead of this. I've already seen it. This is a big deal. And he does it for free. He answers their, their question. And the second king, uh, or this first king, is going to be set up in the life of Saul. And if you know the story, basically from there, Samuel sets Saul up as the first king, and then Saul becomes the reigning king and is reigning king at this moment. Saul, again, was a man who was slick and charming, could, could work his room, could, could do anything that, that would get people to like him. He was kind of that guy that you kind of left, you're like, I kind of like him, but there's kind of this Weasley character to him. I'm not really sure what it is, but he was really slick, really charming, you're going to see David in just a second. But Saul was impatient and reckless. You saw that he couldn't find donkeys in three days and blew through his whole cash in three days. That's kind of not a good sign for your king. Um, and then he was older than David, as we're going to see in a little bit. Saul was cocky and self-reliant. That's not a word in the Bible. It's a word that I chose to use uh, because it is. It's true. The dude was just full of himself, and he really didn't want anybody to tell him any different. Saul was insecure and dangerous. And let me just say, for those who know these kind of people, the truth of the matter is they really are insecure. They, they really don't know who they are. They really are the kind of guys who are too busy trying to find their dad's donkeys and not really knowing who they really are inside. And because of that insecurity, they're dangerous. And you may know people like that. You may be somebody like that. And God's here to tell you, you need to, you need to find your identity in Christ and, and realize that there's a danger when it comes to your insecurities rather than finding it in Jesus. But that's a whole other sermon. And so this morning, that's kind of who Saul is. You're going to see the exact opposite in David. David, who is our last character, 
of the three, Samuel, Saul, and David are the main characters right now. David had charisma. David was humble. David was only 16 to 18 uh, when he was called to be king. David was patient in the mundane, and David was self-aware and in control. He knew who he was, and he wasn't really trying to get out of it. The second king is nothing like the first. Saul and David could not have been more different. And so this morning, that is where that we're heading. That's a lot of context. We probably won't get into it as much throughout the series, but that's where we're at. Good? You're welcome. First Samuel chapter 16. Here we go. Here's where we find now Saul is now king. God has rejected Saul. You can read about that earlier in 1 Samuel. If you actually look in chapter uh, 15, there's a whole story of God's rejection of Saul and why he rejected Saul. Uh, And now God has said, Saul is done. I'm going to raise up a new king. And we get our first glimpse, our first snapshot, our first photo album of who David is this morning. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel... This is so good. How long will you grieve over Saul? You see, Samuel really likes Saul. Saul, I think, saw the potential in, or Samuel saw the potential in Saul. I think he's like, this guy, if he could just get past his insecurities, he could be a good dude. He's really trying. He really could be used. And I almost wonder if part of Samuel was kind of like, I'm tired, God. I would really like this guy to work out. I'd really like him to take the job and be really good at the job. And it didn't. And so he's grieved at what's happened. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Doesn't have time to answer. God says, fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. That's fun. So you would all be North Lawrenceites, Canal Fultonites, Massillonites, Barbertonites, Nortonites, Akronites, Ohioites, whatever. Uh, The Bethlehemites, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. That's true. You don't really want to go and un, uh, under, uh, undermine the king. It doesn't go well. Uh, you may have heard the phrase, et tu brute. Uh, that's kind of the same scenario where if I go and try and set up a king under the king, he's not going to be very appreciative that I have undermined him, kind of went on this rogue mission without telling him, where are you going, Samuel? I'm out. What are you going to do? Out, going to go take care of some stuff. And uh, he has to go and set up this king underneath the king who is already here. And the king probably would have killed him had he known what he was doing. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Verse four, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. It's kind of a weird transition. Why, why take a heifer? What's that all about? Here's a cool thing. God was setting him up. He was setting him up to get into town. He was setting him up to give him a reason to go and visit this guy named David without getting exposed to Saul for undermining him and being, setting up another king underneath him. So he says, take this heifer, and I want you to go and sacrifice to the Lord. If, if you looked at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 to 9, it talks about this idea of a rule or a, uh, a sacrifice that would happen. So as Levitical judge, Samuel was authorized to sacrifice a heifer, this kind of animal, as part of a ritual that atoned for an unsolved murder committed in a rural region. So that was the, the, that was the play. That was the story. 
take the heifer. It's going to look like you're going into this rural town to solve this unsolved murder, and this will atone for that murder. And so you're going to go into this town, and nobody's going to really know why you're there except you know why you're there. And so he goes on this risky mission into say into anoint this first king, uh, David. He says, he went into town, he did his commanded. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? <laughs> That's important because as we just said, Samuel's got this large recognition, this bigger than life personality, this guy that basically had just, if you read the chapter ahead, he just chopped a king to pieces with his own sword. It's a whole story. You should read your Bibles. It's a lot of fun in there. And, uh, and, he, and he's, he's known this town. And as he comes into town, they see this heifer. They know the deal. There's probably some kind of murder that's happened. There's probably something that he's coming in that he knows about that the, that the town doesn't know about. And so all the elders rush to Samuel and like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you come in here, are you going to burn this place down? Are you going to shut us down? What's happening? Why are you here? Is this peaceful? Why have you come? And Samuel answers, peacefully I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So he's just rolled into town. They are scared to death of Samuel, as they should be. And he says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm here peaceably. I need to see Jesse, and I need to see Jesse, and I need to see his, his boys. And so he arrives in town, and when they came, he looked, uh, and when they arrived, he says, verse 6, when they came, he looked on Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so he's, he's assembled all of his sons, and there's a little bit of discretion in here, whether it's seven or eight. Uh, if you read First Chronicles, it's a different number than what you read here. And so a lot of people will say, see, that's why the Bible isn't accurate, because this, because David's, he's supposed to have eight brothers, seven brothers. Is he supposed to have seven or eight, and which one is it? And there's a whole reason behind why that is. But for here, we read the lesser number. And here are the brothers that are assembled before Samuel and this idea of king. So Elab, uh, which means God is father, was the oldest. And he sees him first. This guy's big. He's, he's, he's important looking. He's kind of the guy you'd expect to be king. He probably looked a lot like Saul uh, as far as his appearance. He says, surely this is him. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of the stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Did you not just remember Saul? The guy had all the stuff on the outside that looked really good. If you would have seen Paul or Saul, you would have thought, man, this guy's legit. He's good. And when you got to know him, you're like, his character's jacked up. His character's a mess. He looks really good on the outside, but inside he's a complete failure. That's Elab. He says he looks good, and maybe he's not quite who he says he's going to be. And then you have Abinadab, that's a fun name. His name is, my father is noble, or three Israelites. You have Shema, which is uh, four Israelites is his name. It's kind of a weird name. Hey, I'm going to call you four people. Thanks, Dad. Um, and then you have Nethanol, and that means given of God. And you're like, why did he get given of God? And I got like number four. Like, what's weird? I'm not even number four in line. I'm third. Anyway, and then you have Radai, which means a son of Jesse. That's even worse, right? We couldn't think of a name for this dude. So he's just like, you are called son. Like, Thanks. You are called boy. Boy, go. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of. And then you have Ozem, which means two Israelites. And then you have the question mark of is it which which is it? Is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or is it seven? So you have the question mark of who was this last son? And many believe that he may have died early on and wasn't able to have kids, and therefore was not important to the story. Whatever you do with him, there's a question mark for him. And then the last, regardless of where you look in First Chronicles or here, the last one is David, and it means beloved one. 
which, side note, little, little Bible trivia, it could be that these names of four Israelites, two Israelites, son of Jesse, three Israelites, these number system was, was kind of a play on words, and it was an actual mess swing with you of why that's not there. It's a whole other thing. It's a whole other theology. It's fun to dive into. If we had community groups, I'd be like, okay, go. <laughs> um, disagree and agree on which one you think it is. But that's, that's not for here there. Um, those are the brothers assembled. David is the last, and that's the most important thing this morning, is that David is the last, and he is the last one to be brought before this king, or before Samuel. Then Jesse says in verse 10, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. The Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he says, Well, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Thanks, Dad. This, this guy's not important. These are the important ones. They're here. They're doing the good work. That guy's out tending the pets and the sheep and the, the disgusting job that nobody wants. This is, these are the guys you want, not, not that guy out there. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. See, what was happening was he says, we brought the sacrifice and what that would do is they would actually sacrifice this animal, and it would take long to, to, to kill it, to dress it, to, to clean it up, to get it ready, then to cook it. It was probably a good three hours' worth of work to get this thing up and ready. And so in, the mean, in this meantime, uh, all the sons have already been walked through in this first little section, and they still got these like three hours to kill before they're ready to, to eat the meal and do the thing. And they said, well, David's far off. He's too far. It's going to take too long. Samuel says, no, 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 no. You go get him. We'll wait on the meal. To which all the other brothers had to be like, oh, David, seriously, like, it's not going to be him. You don't understand David. David, we don't, he's the pretty boy. He's, he's, he's the one that we don't really want to associate with. Why David? David doesn't matter. And yet Samuel says, we're not going to do it until he gets here. And then in verse 12, we see, and he sent and brought him in. And it says, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. That word ruddy can sometimes be translated in this redhead, so thus the picture of the original was we kind of, he, some believe he had a kind of reddish, like auburn hair. So uh, for those in the room, you're welcome. You're David. There you go. Boom, right? Nailed it. Ginger in a fit, right? So, uh, so David was this guy who was kind of this outgoing, and he was handsome, and he had beautiful eyes. This is the this dude that like all the ladies would have loved. Like this guy would have come in from the fields looking disgusting, and yet something in the disgusting would have been like, Dude's a shepherd. I didn't think I liked sheep, but I love shepherds. That guy's awesome. It gets better because you'll find out later the dude's not only that, but he's a war hero and wears skinny jeans. Like, I mean, the guy, like, he killed all of it. Like, all of it, you're kind of like, I like this guy. He's a poet. He's, he's emotional. And yet he kills people. That's awesome. This guy's got the whole thing. David makes it bad for all of us, men. Um, you're going to see that throughout the series. You're going to be like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm really sorry. I'm not David, but... You got what you got. Uh, and so as he is going out of the field, this is described as David. He's going to be this guy who is this really, really um, impressive character. And yet he's out tending sheep. He's out doing the thing that nobody else wanted to do. It was the youngest. He seems, this seems to be a theme for God. Always using the unlikely underdogs to accomplish his purposes. I mean, for crying out loud, the Hurricanes just took out the Washington Nationals in the NHL League. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Anybody hockey fans know? Am I alone? Okay, one or two. All right, so uh, if you don't know, it's, it was never meant to happen. It's the Carolina Hurricanes, for crying out loud. They don't take out anybody, and yet Washington's out, and now Columbus is in there. Columbus? Columbus, right? They're taking out Tampa Bay. Done, right? And now they're moving on. Anyway, um, 
I got to have sports in me. I just can't not. It's got to be something on. Uh, anyway, so underdogs. Very, very, very well loved in the Bible. David was this underdog, least likely candidate. And I believe some ways he was not only an underdog because of who he was, he was an underdog because of where he came from. It, he came from this no-name town called Bethlehem. To us, we know it because we know Christmas and we know where, what Bethlehem means. To them, no-name town in the middle of nowhere wasn't important at all. It was a small town. It was unseen. It was not heard of. Why should this guy come from this place. And it makes me think, man, God, if you did something with an unknown guy in an unknown town and, and looking at his life and what he's accomplished, only God can do that. And it got me thinking, and I want to just share with you just kind of just from my heart to your heart as we look towards summer together as a church. Do you realize we're going to be turning uh, four years old here in the fall and um, God is continually to bring in new and more people and I believe that's on purpose because I believe what God is doing is he's building up a new army to, to raise up and then to continue to reach out into Lawrence Township. Lawrence Township, when we first planted in Lawrence Township, why, why plant in Lawrence Township? And one of the first things I saw when I, when I wanted to plant in Lawrence Township was I went to Lawrence Township. Have you been to the website? They have one. Been, <laughs> so when you go on the, you're like, what? Yeah, they do. It's awesome. And so when you go to the website for Lawrence Township, which you live in, Somewhere in the line, because it covers Canal Fulton here, it reaches into Clinton, it's a whole thing, Lawrence Township. If you look at the website, the first banner on their website is a burnout old tractor in a green field. Yeah! I was like, we're going there. <laughs> I don't care. That's going to be awesome. And so we just said, let's do it. And, and, and as we looked at Lawrence Township, as we wanted to plant this church, um, the number in, in Lawrence Township in the population is 13,000 people, which is really, really small in comparison to most things around us. Maslin's like 32,000, something like that. Uh, some of these other larger, maybe, cities. And yet we feel like God was calling us to this place for this time. And in Lawrence Township, there are 13,000 people, and there are a lot of churches. You, you know that. You've driven around. You've seen all the churches around. You're like, why do we need another church in this community? And I believe you are the reason we need a church in Lawrence Township, because God is developing and using you as missionaries in this area to reach those who are far from Jesus. And that was why we planted in this no-name little township that, you, that, you know, you talk about how, like, where is that? And a lot of people have heard of Canal Fulton. A lot of people have heard of Clint. A lot of people have heard of these, these areas around here. But even when you mention Maslin, when I'm booking things and things like that, I'm like, Where, what city? And I'm like, Maslin. They're like, oh, Massolon? And I'm like, close? Massolani? No. Maslin. Massolon. Okay, close enough. Stroop, strap, same thing. We got it, right? Move on. Let it go. We're good. This township is here for us. And, and God is saying, I wanted you here. And he's raising up us as a church to reach this community. And, and what if God wanted to do something big through Community Bible Church? This small little church, a small town. What if God had big dreams for a small town? And I firmly believe, we're going to be talking about this tonight at membership night, um, but I firmly believe God has some pretty big things for this small town. And not big programs, not big churches, big things meaning big stories to tell because of the people in this room and those that aren't here who are committed to this thing 
and saying, God is going to be doing some pretty incredibly big things. I firmly believe it. And just as David was called from the fields, I believe that we are called to this place to be used in some pretty powerful ways. Samuel then takes this this oil and he pours it over his head. It's this ritual that would have declared him king. And so he says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. That had to go well. Um, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed. This is so cool. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Samuel then just leaves. The Spirit comes on David And it's the same spirit that we are indwelt with. And God is saying to David, he's saying to Samuel, he's going to use ordinary people to do incredible things. God is going to use ordinary people to accomplish not things, but extraordinary stories. God is going to use you in this room, I firmly believe it, to to have extraordinary stories to tell your kids, your grandkids. Your kids are going to tell stories of mom and dad were part of this church we met in a high school. And it was really weird because we always kind of ran around the hallways and then we got in trouble for, for running into gyms and all that kind of stuff. And they yelled at us a lot. Remember that? It was, but it was, just, it was this great place where we got to just experience what it meant to be a family and a community together. And they're going to tell stories to their kids because of what's happening here. Do you realize that? This church isn't just for you. This church is for the generation coming behind us and then some. Because we don't plan on going anywhere. And I really feel as if this is what God says in this scenario. I am going to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary stories. Because here's the beauty of what's happening. We're going to wrap up with this. Here's the beauty of what's happening in David's life. David is a shepherd. He's just anointed kings. Can you imagine at age 16 to 18, somewhere in that range, you're not just handed the keys to the car, (laughs) which is awesome in and of itself. Trust me. I remember those days. You're handed the keys to a nation. Can you imagine that? Like, I don't, I, it's kind of nerve-wracking. You're kind of like, okay, here you go. All Israel, do it up. Like, God doesn't even know how to drive. He's going to lead the nation? Yep. That's what God's doing. He's using ordinary people. And here's what happens. He hands them the keys. Where does David go after he gets the keys? Back to the fields. He just goes back to being a shepherd. God has just said, you're going to be king. Can you imagine at 16 or 18? I'm like, cool, I'm going to be king. This is going to be awesome. What am I going to do? Go back to your sheep. What? Go back in with your parents' house. Live there for a while. You'll be all right. But, but you said I'm going to be king. Well, not right now. There is already a king. But you are king. How does that work? Do I take him out? Do I kill him? That happens later. No, just go back. Go back to the ordinary. And here's what I love about this. This is, this is where we're going to close out this morning. God uses ordinary people, yes, to do extraordinary stories, yes. But he often will do it, and this is beautiful, I want you to hear this. He will often do it in the amazing mundaneness of your life. David was and is and did remain in the mundane, smelly job of shepherding. God may keep you where you are for a purpose. You don't know, Joel, I just, you know, I... I do my job. I don't feel like I'm doing a whole lot. I come home at night. I, I, I try and be a good dad. I try and be a good husband. I try and do the thing. And I think I'm making a day. I don't know. It just seems like I just get bored. I mean, there's nothing to really do. I don't really know. It just seems like things are just kind of uh, and mundane and ordinary. And to which I say, yes. <laughs> yes, they are. 
Because God often will use you the most in the most amazing and mundane circumstances, not in these huge ways of, I'm going to move, and it's going to be this huge city, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to be part of this great organization. No, God may want to just say, no, you're going to stay in that job. You're going to stay in that relationship that you're in. You're going to stay in that city and in that zip code because I need your story in that zip code. You ever thought about that? God has you here for a reason. And I don't want you to miss it. God has you in the mundane, normal living life here. Don't overcomplicate this thing. Don't, you know, God, if you could just do this, then I'll follow you. It's normal. It's not complex. God says, live in the normal and non-complex. David was normal and not complex. Rarely did he experience anything outside of the shepherding world for many years before he does anything extraordinary. And I'm telling you, rarely will you talk to a great leader and hear that it was all miraculous day after day after day. Not many people are leading these great organizations, these great churches. Not many of these great pastors are going to say, there was this one night when this angel visited me and offered me this pastor job, and I took it, and it's been amazing miracles every single day of my life. Like Tuesday was a miracle, Wednesday miracle, Thursday miracle, Friday miracle. Like it just doesn't happen that way. There's mundane, there's normal. More often than not, what you hear is this, I took one step, I took the next one, then I took the next one, and then eventually I found out what God was calling me to do. But a lot of it was just the normal weeks, the normal day-to-day stuff. The issue is we often see the then and there and not the here and now. Can I say that again? Often we can look and say, if I could just get there, life would be. Instead of saying, no, God has called me to the here and the now. The then and there is the championship, the dynasty teams, the church plant that we've visited that's 10 years old and planting other churches in other small towns. And we're like, man, God, if we could just be that, if we could be this church that's planting other churches. And, and I can see the then and there and forget that they all had a here and now. Does that make sense? They've all been here. I've talked to them. I've talked to church planters. I've, always, I've, I've, I've heard their stories. That third year, that fourth year, the grind, like the mundane, the normalcy. Stay in it because God's going to be doing something. Stay in it because God wants to do something big here. And if we're not careful, we chase the then and there and miss the growth that is happening in the here and now. We do it all the time. If I could just be perfect, if I could just get my life together, if I could just get my act together and serve God perfectly, then life would be X. Instead of God saying, no, it's then, it's here, and it's now, and it's growth, and it's a steady drag and mundane of the day-to-day here and now. If we're not careful, we live too much in the then and there, and we miss what God is calling you to do in the here and now. And then what he's also doing in the normal and the complex was David was developing his skills. We're going to hear more about this uh, in two weeks, but he's developing his skills. And I think God's saying the same thing here. We, we ran this play in soccer last week, and every kid hated it. Everyone. I mean, we got done with the practice, and they're like, that was the most boring drill we've ever done. Can we never do that again, ever? And I'm like, no. We're going to do it every single practice now. Um, I said, no, it was, it was boring for a reason. One was because they didn't do it right. But secondly, it was because it's meant to be boring. It's meant to be day-to-day normal. It's passing. It's looking for open space in soccer. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why we did as well as we did in the game. Thank you very much. Uh, but it was, it was that thing of just saying, this is the normal, and every kid hated it, and every kid was like, we never want to do this again. You can be there in your own life. Trust me, I've been there in my life. I don't want to do this anymore. This is so boring. I wish my life was like so-and-so. I wish I was there. Why can't we vacation like they vacation? Why can't we go where they go? Why can't we do what they're doing? Why can't we be as spiritual as they're spiritual? 
And we start to do the comparison game. And comparison game gets you nowhere. Instead, God says, live in the here and now. Develop the skills you have. Trust me that this is working, and we're going to move forward in the future. And last but not least, he says, not only was you're supposed to be able to understand the amazing mundaneness of where he's called you, the normal and not complexity of life is right where you're supposed to be. But he also says this, have the humbleness that David had, that just as he's accepted this thing of king, he stayed with the sheep. It would have been very easy for him to say, I'm good, I'm going to take this, I'm going to handle it. I don't need anybody else. My brothers are idiots. They've all been passed up. I'm the chosen guy. I'm the one. I'm going to pull a full Joseph move on them. It's going to be me, me, me. No, he says, I will go back to the sheep and I'll do what I need to do. As we close this morning, I know it's a lot. It's just the intro won't be as much as we continue on, I promise. As you've heard a lot of this stuff, we've heard Samuel, Saul, David. We've talked about the idea of uh, the the mundaneness of of, of David and, and, and what he's called to. I firmly believe, church, that God has something for us this summer, um, that he's desiring each of you to come and be a part and say, I want to have a story at the end of the summer in somebody else's life and not just my own and not just my family. By the end of this summer, my prayer is that everybody in this room would be able to stand up here this fall and say, I have a story of what God did in a neighbor, in a friend, in a family member, in a relationship that I spent all summer just being friends, doing cookouts, doing the thing. That's what we're supposed to do. The normalcy of life. Don't make it weird. Just do life. Do barbecues. Do cookouts. Do the thing. And at the end, just know that God is calling you to do the normal, not complex, building relationships with those around you. And I guarantee you, by the end of this, you're going to have story after story this fall of what God's calling you to. And I'm excited for it. I really am. Let me pray for you as we close, and then uh, we'll get out of here as we sing out. God, thank you so much for today. Uh, God, it is a lot of information, a lot of head knowledge. I pray today that as it is a lot of knowledge in, in our heads, that it wouldn't just stay there. But Father, that you would use this idea of reaching our community, that, that you have us right here on purpose. You had David right where he needed to be. Keep us humble, but also keep us on mission. Keep us reaching out to those who need Christ more than they need anything else. They need Christ more than they need the next drink. They need Christ more than they need the next relationship. They need Christ more than they need that next job. But I pray, God, that you would help them to know that, to understand that fact. God, I pray that you would use us as a church to reach our community this summer in ways we haven't before. And not in big events and flashy programs, but just in normal day-to-day life and relationships with one another. I pray that you'd use us in powerful ways as you did here with David calling him to such things. I pray this morning would be that for us, a chance to wake up and go out into the fields that are white and ready for the harvest. I pray that. God, thank you for this morning. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.
Awesome. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Pray you have a great week. Uh, if you need to talk at all, I'm here. But uh, thanks so much for being here this morning. Have a great week. See you all. Thanks.